There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitization, data security and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs. Saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work from anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk The Go Radio Business Show with Sir Tom Hunter. We've sat down with our team and always be honest with them. They appreciate it. The more they understand, the more they actually care about the business. And Lord Willie Hockey. Try and get your staff involved as much. We have an understanding about how the whole business operates. The Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions. Good morning, Thomas. Morning, Willie. How are you doing? Fine. Again, not a lot to talk about this week. <laughs> <laughs> wow. If ever there was a good time for the Go Radio Business Show, I think it's now, Willie. But we did say last week, hopefully in the next few weeks, we can talk less and less about the politics of business and yes. government talking about business. But it's quite obvious that this week that you know that we've been had the strongest warning yet from the Chancellor that people have to brace themselves for what's coming on the 17th of November. Yes. I mean, it's probably... And it, it was another prediction in the Go Radio Business Show. We're probably in recession now, Willie. We, we, we talked about it some weeks ago. I couldn't believe that Jeremy Hunt was still saying, you know, on Friday morning, that, uh, oh, we may <laughs> be getting into a recession when the bank, you know, the, the governor of the Bank of England, following you to tell me, will be in a recession for two years, the longest recession. So there's no doubt about it. And yeah. obviously what he said is, is that his number one priority is to attack inflation. Yep. And it'll be interesting. And and obviously they're putting out all the spoilers, you know, that they're telling you what they're going to be doing. There's going to be major cuts to public spending. Uh, there's going to be uh, some stuff has been going to be put in the back burner. That'll be interesting. And tax now, rises. Wally, tell me, because you understand this stuff, from what I'm reading, he could be very political with this statement next week. And he could actually go, okay, I'm going to leave the real pain till after the next election. So if we win it, right, great, and we'll deal with it. If we don't win it, Labour inherits all the pain and he's not seen, the Tories are not seen. I mean, is that the way this works? That's that's the hint that they're giving. <laughs> but I, I believe that the OBR will not let them away with that. He's right. going to have to show all his cars. There, you, you might be right, there may be a delay in some of the tax rises, but he has to show that he's a definitive plan to plug the 60 billion gap. Right, okay. But one of the big issues, if you're sitting down as a chancellor today, you've obviously got a few problems, but one of the biggest issues is if he's looking for public spending cuts, health is protected and Obviously, the nurses have voted to strike. We have the biggest waiting lists on history. I think there's 7 million people in England. I, I couldn't get the Scottish stats this morning, but there's 7 million people in England on the waiting list. And again, something that we talked about, because I'm very close with Professor Sir Christopher Evans, and, and he told me during COVID that the next epidemic was going to be on cancer, Willie. Yeah. Because he said people were not coming forward during COVID. It wasn't that cancer had gone away and they weren't getting diagnosed and they weren't getting treated. And he, hey, presto. And he predicted at the time, and I think we spoke about it, that cancer would kill more people than COVID. And it had to be a, a kind of COVID response to, to cancer in this country. So, you know, goodness me, these are these are big, big worries, Willie. Yeah, and I, and I think, Tom, we have to face into this. You know, we keep talking about our wonderful NHS, right? We have absolutely wonderful people, dedicated people in the NHS. But it's quite apparent at the moment that your experience with NHS is far but wonderful. Yeah, I remember Willie going to China a few years ago now and sitting with these eminent professors and business people. And I was, I was it's my first time into China and we sat around the table and it was very nice and, and after people loosened up a bit they said well of course Tom 
Britain can't afford the NHS in its current form. And I was I was very indignant. I was saying, well, what do you mean? You know, the NHS is the envy of the world. And, and they went, no, no, no. The system will bankrupt Britain if you carry on the way you're going. And I, I left there thinking, well, I, I agreed with some things he said, and they were obviously very intelligent, but they didn't understand. Well, maybe it wasn't me that didn't understand. Yeah, and I think maybe the government didn't understand. But the what we have at the moment, we've mentioned that there's the chance of the perfect storm here. We've got so many, um, you know, people working in the public sector who, who feel undervalued and underpaid, uh, yep. and they're quite rightly looking for better deals. Um, and then you've got a chancellor both in, in the UK and in Scotland telling you there's no more money. Right. Yep. So there, there's definitely going to be a winter of discontent. And it's just, and I think after the 17th of November, I think people are going to be drawing up their battle plans. So at least this week, I was encouraged that Dishy Rishi met our First Minister face to face, which was something that the previous Prime Minister couldn't manage to do. So I'm sure they didn't agree in much, but at least, the, as you know, the first part of any negotiation is actually to sit down face-to-face with someone. So so, so, so Dishy Rishi met Nimble Nicky. <laughs> <laughs> Your word, not mine. I've got That's a compliment. Phrase, That's a compliment. Which I can't, I can't use on the radio, but yeah. anyway. Well, um, hopefully we get some good out of that because we definitely need to talk. We have to talk. Yeah. Right. Um, ignoring people... Just never works, Willie. Right. On to business. Yes. Obviously, one of the biggest stories of the week is obviously what's happening in the Bitcoin world. Oh, my goodness, Willie. Yes. So, you know, FTX, just about going bust. One of the largest, you know, trading companies in Bitcoin. And, and to be fair, the owner there seen as one of the white knights of the industry. And, you know, to see what's happened this week where, you know, they've got 400 million in reserves and they've got a call of 5 billion on people allegedly looking for to get their deposits retrieved. Yeah, so this so, so this young fella, Sam Bankman Fried. 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 Yes. We say Fried. He's definitely Fried this week. Aye, well, he's, <laughs> he's been... He's Might have been, been Fried. Sad, Might have been Willie. Fried last week. He's definitely Fried this week. Um. If, if you thought Matt Hancock was having a bad week, you just need to go and look at Sam, actually. Yeah. So Sam was this guy who was seen as the, oh, he's the new messiah. And he was worth, oh, 20-odd billion. 24 and, billion. And he gave money to the Democrats. But what was the number? Of 40 money? million. 40 million. Just to fight the midterm elections last week. And then he joined the Giving Pledge, which married myself for signatures of with yeah. Bill Gates and Warren Buffett. He's going to give away his money for charity. And then, all of a right. sudden, he's skint. He's now looking for the taking, giving the pledge. <laughs> he's now writing the begging letters. No, but I think if we add this, Tom, to what's happened this week, you know, in, in talking about business, look what's happened to Fang. You know, Facebook, Amazon, Google, all of these people now have a major resets. We mentioned it last week. 250 billion wiped out of Amazon value. In, in three days, and here's a guy with his, his whole wealth of 24 billion. So see all these paper billionaires and all these inflated, you know, valuations of companies. I think that, you no, know, we are having a reset, but the sad side of it is when you see the amount of people who are going to be unemployed from yes. the, what we call the big five, it's frightening. Yes, so, I mean, Facebook laid, are, is going to lay off 11,000 people, yeah. will they? Yeah. Um, now, my... My bromance with my hero, Elon Musk, is on a sticky wicket. I'm well, glad to hear it. He did what's called in America an all-hands meeting. So he caught everybody together, probably over Zoom or, or Teams or something. Um, but he he told, he told the remaining... I mean, he sacked half the workforce. They, they got an email and saying, don't bother coming back, which is terrible. And now he's all-hands meeting. He said, well the company might go bankrupt. Yeah. And he said, yeah, and it will definitely go bankrupt if you don't all come into work every day. So he has banned working from home. He yep. said, if you decide to work from home, you're telling me you're resigned. Um, so. <laughs> what I love, Tom, in that one, just on that, <laughs> to pause on it, was he said, and I quote, if you've done your 40 hours in the office, then I don't mind you working from home. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, um, yes, the the bromance is hit pause, Willie. So I need to see what happens next. Right. I'm, I'm going to give another exclusive here. Right. I think this is going to be a big... I think 2023 is going to be make or break for Elon Musk. Do you? Yep. Right, yep. okay. Well, I just hope that all this doesn't go to his head, right, and uh, you know, he ends up... Look what's happened to him in a week. The pushback yeah. on the $20 for the blue tick, then it went down to $8, then got to $6, then they couldn't work out what you got for the money and then you know, what we've had <laughs> in the last couple of days of the week was you know how many people are going to get laid off which is a shame but I, I think that this is a and also as well he got all political all of a sudden you know he'd been a democrat all his life and suddenly last week he was telling people to put the GOP into, into the Senate and then he was trying to backtrack on it and telling people he'd been a, you know he'd been a democrat all his life so I think he's a bit confused but I need to see on a lighter side <laughs> I thought that was a brilliant move that he'd done when he walked in to their offices with the sink and says, well, let that sink, sink in. <laughs> yeah, with the kitchen sink. Yeah. So I'm not quite as pessimistic as you. I yeah. find it hard to bet against him. Right. Um, the stuff he's done in Tesla and SpaceX, I think, is genius. Mm -hmm. And this Twitter may be a misstep, but we all make missteps. Yeah. But... He might be forty-four billion down down the sink, Willie. I've always called him a flawed genius, and I think <laughs> two thousand and twenty-three will be the year of the flaw. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, right. So talking about flawed geniuses, where are we going next, Willie? Right, we're going. One of the things I was disappointed to read in the FD on Friday was that um, Ibradrola said that the US beaten, is beating Europe as the magnet for green investment. And I think, again, see, rather, you know, we'll talk about Scotland in a moment, but I think we're missing a trick here. I mean, see, rather than being at COP27 for way many days, we should be absolutely lobbying the world that Scotland is the place for renewable energy investment, 100%. Yeah, so I agree 100%. I don't know too much about this, but obviously Ibridola's Spanish, but it owns Scottish power. Yes. And um, therefore... Why does Scotland not have the seat at the top table to, to ask these companies, right, what does it take for Scotland to be seen as world class? So listen to your customer and let's see if we can build a policy framework to make Scotland the number one place for renewable energy, offshore wind, onshore wind, tidal in the world. Why not, Willie? Okay, so Patrick Harvey, Lorna Slater, where are we? Right, where are we talking to big business about investing? And you know, rather than just talking about it, what are we actually doing? Demonstrate to us what we're doing to get big, big business to invest in renewables in Scotland more and more. Because I believe that that is one of the things that could, where Scotland could be world leading. So the Green Party, come on the Go Radio Business Show and tell us what you're doing about it. Rather than being anti-growth, let's see where you want to invest. Yep. We'll give you a couple of fair trade camel waivers. <laughs> getting back, getting back local, Tom. Obviously, the big, big talking point here in Scotland is the uh, Scottish government have decided to introduce the deposit return scheme, and over five hundred bodies and businesses have all signed letters saying this is an absolute bad idea. Is this another example of government not listening to business? So, Willie, I, I, you know, I have an investment in the hospitality business, a bit like yourself, so I listen to what's going on in these things. So I think this, unfortunately, is another case of government sitting down, writing policy in isolation, not listening to the people that it really impacts on. Policy should be an all-inclusive thing. We should get people around the table say, right, this affects you, what's your point of view, what's your point of view? Obviously, the government ultimately decides, but this to me smacks of, I mean, they just have not worked it out. They've stuck out a policy statement, grabbed a headline, it's a cheap trick. And the other thing that I've found this week is with the rent cap, the rent freeze going on in Scotland. So on the face of it, that's a headline grabber and it's a good thing. But once you go below it, I know of two 
global companies who have pulled out of Scotland. They were going to invest major sums, a, a bit like yourself, Willie. They were going to invest major sums in the build-to-rent market in Scotland. And now they've said, right, we're stopping that until we understand. So the flip side of the rent freeze is that new supply doesn't come into the market. And down the road, rents will inevitably rise. Um, so please get round the table, government, with all parties when you're writing policy and not just go for the cheap headline. But Tom, I think you make a really good point. This is what politicians don't do. Nobody studies the downside. Yeah. Right, it's all about headline grabbing. You know, it was my bill, I done this. I was. This is not a good policy. But, but going back to, you know, the deposit return scheme, so we can tell the listeners, so obviously now they're trying to introduce it, there'll be, a, there's 20p of an extra cost when you buy plastic or get containers, you know, for, it's mostly going to affect the drinks industry, right? Yes. Now, I have to say, as someone back in the day, Willie the Hatchet made his first million pound collecting <laughs> ginger bottles, right? So I'm all up for a deposit return scheme, but there's, there's, there's nothing in the small print that tells you how you get your 20p back, right? So I would like somebody to answer that. But obviously, again, what we're saying here to everybody is before you make policy, make sure you talk to the sector. Make sure you've got a complete understanding right, of what we're about. Right, so but here's I, another one for yeah. you, Willie. So someone who I really admire, Lord Wolfson, Simon Wolfson, he runs Next. Yep. So I always look at him, his updates of that business are exemplary in terms of laying out what's happening in his business and Next is a big business. So he voted for Brexit and he made me pause because I was not for Brexit. But when he said, he was for it. It made me delve a bit deeper. He still couldn't convince me, but he did make me pause. He has come out this week and said, immigration restrictions are damaging growth in the UK. Wow. But he's come up with a solution. Remember, in this show, we don't allow just moaning. We want solutions. So he has said, if you're recruiting someone from outside the UK, um, and you cannot um, take a British person first. You can bring in someone, an immigrant, and you pay a 10% surcharge on their salaries, which will help protect UK jobs. But if there's nobody willing to do it, it would be productive migration. And here's, here's the important point, Willie. Simon Wilson's wife is chief policy advisor to Rishi Sunak. So listen... We always talk, I'm always looking for positive nuggets. So this week, my positive nugget is Ryanair. Ryanair. So in the six months to September, just gone, their profit, Willie, their profit was 1.37 billion euros. And their forecast to March 2023 is they're going to carry in a year 168 million passengers. Wow. Now, that to me, and I know lots of people have lots of problems with Ryanair, but to me, it's a well-managed business because they got ahead of hiring the pilots back. They've hedged their fuel costs ahead. All of the things that other airlines are moaning about, Michael O'Leary was ahead of the game. So there's a wee bit of positive news for us. Yeah, and I bet you're still not happy. <laughs> <laughs> no, Michael. But no, that I, I seen that, and uh, and uh, that was positive. I, you know, obviously they have to make you know hey, well the sun shines because all the things we're talking about come November, people will be looking at all their costs, and there's no doubt that people will be cutting back on holidays. But there is absolutely no doubt that once people thought that the shackles for COVID was off, everybody was running out to book somewhere to go, and um, I, I would have to say that. Hopefully that that will continue because the, the airline industry was one of the industries that was most affected by COVID. So well done. Good luck to them. Yeah. And my last bit of good news this week is the US inflation rate in October actually fell. Um, it's 7.7% now. It was 8.2% in September. So markets in America got a boost this week. 
um, share prices went up a wee bit, but they've fallen yeah. a lot. Um, so yeah. they're not quite as worried. America doesn't have the big energy inflation that which the UK has. Yes. Be- because of fracking, Willie, mm. they've become energy self-sufficient yeah. and they've dealt with the geopolitics of not being dependent on Russia or the Middle East, which is quite incredible. Yeah, it's the first time for a while where they were below expectation, and on a positive, so they were, they were, they were looking at 7.9, I think, coming at 7.7. So, so that is a bit of good news, and it looks as if some of the policies that they've got is actually going to hold inflation and maybe take it back lower. So here's hoping, just to finish on this, that uh, Jeremy Hunt got his name right, um, you know, <laughs> will come up with something that will do likewise for the UK. Yep, and I did watch Matt Hancock, and I got his name right as well. <laughs> oh, and I am a celebrity this week, so if ever you wanted a laugh, Willie, yeah. oh my goodness. But um, is that what politicians have come to? But um, it did make me laugh. That's the one thing that I can never be able to discuss with the show, because I've never seen it. <laughs> <laughs> ever. <laughs> I'm delighted. Coming next, Hunter and Hockey chat to Joe McSween, leadership coach and former MD of McSween Haggis. The Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions, part of the Scottish Procurement Framework for Managed Print Solutions, available to all public sector bodies and charities. Go. The Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. Joe McSween is a leadership coach and peer group chair for managing directors and chief executives wishing to grow and develop their businesses and themselves. She's also a Women's Enterprise Scotland ambassador, inspiring, motivating and engaging more women to become entrepreneurs. Joe, good morning. Good Welcome morning. to the programme. It's great to be here. Morning, Joe. It's a good wonderful... Morning. I'm really looking forward to speaking to you this morning because I've read the notes and this is a brilliant story. The listeners are going to love it. Yeah. So why don't you start by telling us a bit about yourself, a bit about the business and what you're up to now? Okay, goodness. Well, thank you for such a lovely warm welcome. Well, um, my business life um, with my family business started when I was in my early 20s and... um, I was one of these people at school that didn't really know what they wanted to do. So I didn't actually plan to join my my family business. But I'd been traveling. I was very creative. I'd been to Robert Gordon's and studied business. So I was excited about what I could offer. Um, and I joined not really having a job description, which was a bit of a problem to me. Um, so I said to my dad, I think I need to give myself a job. Um, seeing as how you're not going to give me one. <laughs> so I sort of self-appointed myself as the marketing manager and then went off and got the qualifications to make sure that I would have got that job because nepotism is a bit of a sensitive issue in a family business, I think. Tell the listeners the name of the business. Max Sween Haggis, I beg your pardon. Okay. So I joined um, Max Sween at a very interesting time. And so to give you some some sense of the the history of the business, I think the best way of describing the evolution of the company because it started in you know 1953 you know rationing was still an issue it was started by my grandfather Charlie and um, when I sort of map it out as I as I've done when I talk about it at universities and stuff it's like there's three main um, phases it's not clear about the phases until you're you know looking back Um, but it started as a butchers game dealers poulterers and like all good butchers in Scotland we made our own products including haggis and we built a good reputation for the haggis and then my father joined when he was 16 Um, he left school with no qualifications you know really bright guy and he saw the manufacturing potential of um, the haggis in particular you know the better margins and, and so on and so he he really grew the manufacturing side of the haggis, but we were still operating out of a retail shop in Brunsfield, South Edinburgh. And come the 1980s, um, those of you who are old enough to remember this, there was lots of interesting things happening on the high street. Supermarkets had started to really emerge. It, this was the way of shopping was changing. You know, my mother used to shop in a greengrocer, a butcher. You know, she went to separate shops. The idea of getting everything under one roof was a relatively new concept. 
And so although the business was doing okay, there was a kind of shadow um, hanging over the company. And that was that if this continued, small shops maybe didn't have a future. Now, my dad kind of sort of could see this, but didn't want to see this, I would say. Yeah. My mum absolutely saw it. Ah, right. Yeah. So she said, you know, John, we're going to have to start thinking about, you know, working with these people rather than complaining about them. That's when my brother and I, um, you know, were talking about joining the business and we both joined within about a year of each other. And we basically said to my dad, along with my mom, look, if we don't evolve and change, we're going to die. Now, I've heard you guys talk about that. Yep, yep. Grow or die. Grow or die, exactly. And so the big, big, scary decision that had to be made was we, for, our, for our future, we're going to have to really focus on the manufacturing, give up retail, which is everything my father had known, and open the world's first haggis facility. Brilliant, you know? brilliant. Yeah. And that we did in the late 90s. And by then, my brother and I were in the business. You know, it was a real team effort. Um, you know, I worked on the branding. My brother worked on all the kind of technical and operations. My mum was the real blue sky thinker and thought about the finance. And and my dad was the guy that kind of glued it all together in a way, yeah. kept our feet on the ground. Yeah. And um, we had a few, you know, aborted attempts, um, moments where it didn't quite happen, you know, as I'm sure all entrepreneurs can, can relate to. But <laughs> we got there and then we started supplying the supermarkets. So we went from being a butcher to sort of guardians of Scotland's national dish to yep. then becoming a brand that started to innovate other food products. And and how did the employment grow during that, that you know, obviously growth? Yeah, well, when I first joined, we actually had quite a few people because we were, you know, to, to butcher the meat and to do the van runs, you know, in my grandfather's day, you know, so there was actually quite a lot of people. So there was a bit of natural wastage, if you like, when we when we went into manufacturing. Some of the staff wanted to retire. Some didn't want to come with us. Most did. Um, so I think about then there, there was, you know, over 25. And when I first joined the business, I remember thinking this is like a big family, 25 to 30. And over the years, you know, we grew to, you know, 75, 100. Yeah. It depended on the season, obviously. Yes. Burns nights, very busy. Yeah. But four times the size mm. wow. under your watch. Mm. That's, that's quite a bit of growth. Mm. Yep. Yeah. So um, I was reading the notes this morning, Joan, and I think there's so many great nuggets in this for our listeners. People sitting there and thinking, oh, which way will I go? And, um, you know, the first kind of thing was, in any business, you can either see a threat or an opportunity. And it, it's a especially difficult. My dad was a grocer in a little village, New Cumnock, and um, I, I remember him thinking through going self-service because he was the man with the white coat, stood behind the counter, and people came to him, and he, he went and fetched all the groceries. But I remember sitting around the kitchen table, and he was going, I'm not sure about this self-service. What about the shrinkage? What about all the rest of it? And he did take it, but I think the older you get, the harder it is to embrace change. But in a family business, you have shown that the next generation coming up can challenge <laughs> previous generations for the better because you've got to change or you die. Mm. It's as basic mm. as that. How is that in the family business, Joe? Just for... Yeah, it's a, it's a really good point. And, you know, as you're talking about your grocer background there, Tom, I'm, I'm thinking about some of the evolutions my dad had to make because uh -huh. he was such a natural innovator. I learned so much from him. Right. And I think sometimes we can think that innovation is some kind of, you know, amazing gizmo. And actually, <laughs> sometimes it's really small things that make all the difference. So, for yeah. example, my dad was one of the first people to see the advantage of packaging haggis in a vacuum pack bag with a barcode. All right. Now, we don't tend to think of that as anything extraordinary. But back in... 1980, whatever it was, no one was doing it. Uh -huh. um, and that allowed him to then get listings in Harrods and Selfridges um, because, you know, they were moving from, as you would describe there, from the self-service to, you know, being served to self-service. Yes. Yeah. So on the one hand, dad had that spirit and that was very inspiring to, to all of us. You know, what can you do? And he'd always say, and you've no time and you've no money because... Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, but at the same time, when a, when the young upstarts, you know, like my brother and I join the business, of course, we see things slightly differently. Yeah. Um, you know, for example, when I came in, I could see that we had a brilliant brand that was like a sleeping giant. But the logo, the company logo had been designed by my dad, literally drawn. And it was okay, you know, it was okay. But I was thinking, damn, you know, we're about to kind of go and knock on the door of Tesco. You know, we could do with just professionalizing this just a little bit. And I just remember him saying, yeah, but that'll cost money. You know, there's nothing yeah. wrong with it. It's a perfectly good logo. I designed it myself, you know. And so there was those sort of healthy tensions, I think as long as they're healthy tensions. And so the challenge back to me was, okay, go and change the logo. But I'm not giving you any money. <laughs> so that in turn made me very good at applying for grants, getting right. to know Scottish Enterprise. You know, you guys talk about this a lot, you know, really looking at the ecosystem around me. Yep. And and then I thought, well, what else can I use that... Um, to help us grow, like investors and people, we 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 did as well. Um, so he, in his own way, very cunningly made us good entrepreneurs too, and and helped us to keep thinking like we're quite a young startup. Don't you get stuck in your ways? You know the 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 thing about family businesses, particularly when you get to third gen, like my brother and I were, the clogs to clogs yes. scenario <laughs> that you don't know how tough it's been. Well, I think we did in the, in the sense that we grew up working in the business. Yeah. And I have memories of, um, as a very young child, when the, the staff were paid in cash and we would sit in a row. I'm one of four kids. And we all had, a, had to help do the wages on a Thursday night because the guys were paid once a week. And wow. it was so clear to us as kids that before we could eat and before we got any money into our family, everyone got paid before us. Yeah, great lesson. Yeah, great. and handling that money... And just seeing what that family's got to live on that amount of money, you know, my goodness, it made you really cash aware yeah. from a very young age. Yeah. yeah. Entrepreneurial and frugal at the same time, lesson from your dad. Yeah. When I was thinking, when I was reading the bio when you came on the show, so I was actually thinking about haggis. And it, it's, fair, it's fair to say, and you did mention that, you know, obviously Burns Night, big, big, you know, it's a big, busy mm. time of the year. But I think you and your brother especially in your family, are the reason today that when you go into a restaurant mm. that haggis is on most menus? Yeah, I mean, I think haggis had an image problem. Yeah. And my, we were really aware of that. And I think one of the things that we decided to, you know, I'll, I'll admit sort of take ownership of, not in a kind of money-grabbing way, but in a kind of um, let's look after it, which I think, again, is a real sort of family trait, was the guardianship I think it's the right word, the guardianship right. of it's the good national one. dish. Good one. Yeah, because, you know, when you think about haggis, certainly back in, you know, days gone by, what, what comes to mind? You know, it's in batter, tartan, um, men drinking too much, whiskey, <laughs> debauchery, you know, it's not exactly fully inclusive, right? Nor it sounds like a night out with Willie. Yeah, I thought the debauchery bit was kind of all-inclusive. No, well, no, no. Um, but, you know, what you're not thinking is... Flexible food ingredient, healthy, yeah. actually. Um, something you could eat all year round, yeah. right? A lot of the, the most common question when I worked in the in the business was, how do you cook it and what's in it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and we never really, even, you know, when I when I left in 2017, those were still questions that were being asked. Yeah. So, you know, what we had to do then was kind of, um, yep, Burns Night's a great night, but... How can you eat haggis 365 days of the year? Because it's it's just like mince, yes. but it's pre-cooked and a bit spicy. And, yeah. you know, it makes great nachos. You can um, have it like a burger. You can put it in lasagna. And then, of course, you know, my dad back in 1983, 84, um, was you know, invented the first vegetarian haggis. Wow. And, and now, you know, since I've left, my, my brother's made gluten-free haggis. You know, so it's... It's for everybody. It's evolved. It's, it's, it's evolved. Yeah. I, I must tell you a great story. So every time I've got visitors from abroad, and we always take them for a traditional Scottish night, and mm. we'll find somewhere, and we, tell them, and we always try them to get, you know, haggis, neeps and tatties. They're always interested in maybe good Scotch beef and then finishing off with tunnels, tea cakes and snowballs. Now right? you're talking. But I need to tell you a funny story. <laughs> I these Americans from Texas over about six or seven years ago, 
and we took him to a lovely place in the West End for dinner. And they all says, oh, no, let's have the haggis, neeps and tatties. And this huge American guy who couldn't wait to get the fillet steak next was was kind of messed about with his plate, you know? <laughs> anyway, so he, he takes a bit and you could see it was, he, he doesn't like it, you know? And, we, and he says, oh, oh, no, he says, no, it, it, it's, it's, it's not for me. I said, no, no, that's the turnip. <laughs> that's the haggis there. <laughs> so when he tastes it, he says, oh, no, this is really good. This is really yeah. good. So I don't ever remember anyone sampling haggis for the first time not thinking it was good. It depends on the haggis. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think we have to be honest here. There's haggis and there's haggis. Yeah. Got to be McSween. Tell us a wee bit about how when you became more prominent in the business when you, you know, decision-making. Right, Yeah. Okay, well, what sort of changes I wanted to yes, make? Yes. yes. Well, I suppose my I wanted to grow the business, certainly, um, uh, because I felt there was all this sort of know-how, knowledge, entrepreneurialism, innovation. And so I started to, and my brother was keen on this too because, you know, he's really good at developing things. So it was how could we um, take our know-how and and innovate and, and continue to make haggis relevant for the next generation. So we did a lot of market research. That's something I was really keen to, to drive. And what we started to learn about um, our consumers was that young people were eating haggis, but they were eating out of a, out of a fish and chip shop, so in batter, not very healthy. Yeah. And so we started to think, how can we make it more accessible? And that's what led us um, to develop the microwavable haggis, for example. Um, so it was ready in a minute, None of this kind of how do I cook it stuff. And they could also put it in a roll. So it was sort of something they could relate to, like a, a burger, but full of goodness, full of fiber. You know, it's full of oats as, as, as well as iron. That product was more successful than we expected because we thought we were just going to help tackle younger folks, um, not maybe engaging with haggis, but actually... Older people cooking for one loved it. People trying to save money because you cook it in a minute in a microwave. So from an energy perspective and packaging and waste perspective, it just made so much sense. And then we went on um, as we reached various milestones, um, which I hope we can talk a bit more about how we celebrated being 60. Yeah. Um, we thought, well, how does a haggis maker celebrate being 60? Well, you, you, you have a party, obviously, but you also... <laughs> see what other recipes you can develop. And I think a lot of people don't realize that haggis is a global product. Scots are rightly very proud of it and kind of think that they invented it. Well, sorry, folks, you didn't. Okay? Ah. It's been around as long as man and woman have existed. Okay? So you <laughs> and, and the world, I've traveled the world over and every culture I speak to has a haggis. They don't obviously really call, call it that. that. Yeah. But, you know, culturally they have something similar, you know, what I wanted to do when when we were turning 60 was how could we also be fully inclusive? Um, I think organizations, they do talk a lot about the value of a team. It's all yeah. about the team. And, you know, can I just say to any accountants listening, if it's really all about that, then why aren't people on the balance sheet? Oh, okay? right. Okay, right? good point. And as a genuine asset, right, rather than seen as an overhead because they are an asset and we should really be accounting for them sometimes that way. If you think about what people know in the business and the skill you've you've built up, you know, I'd like us to really challenge ourselves to, to do that. So um, as we were approaching 60, I wanted to find a way to really pay tribute to the, to the team and make them feel involved. And I took rather an unconventional approach to this. Um, didn't really have much money as usual, <laughs> small company. Um, and I decided to bring in uh, a storyteller, um, which raised a few eyebrows around the company. You know, uh -huh. a lot of the folk that worked at Maxween then, you know, were ex-coal miners, um, a storyteller. <laughs> half, around half our staff weren't born in the UK. So we had a very high um, level of uh, immigrant labor. Uh -huh. And... Um, and they had very diverse stories to tell as well. Right. So the staff opened up about how they really felt about working in the company. Right. Long story short, this then turned into a party and we had all their stories were woven together in their own words, however fruity the language. And, um, and we wove together the history of the business. And we realized that we were all immigrants. You know, um, I then said to the storyteller, do you write plays? And he said, yes. <laughs> and... 
and we took it to the Edinburgh Fringe um, wow. in 2014, which, of course, was the year of Independence One, um, Commonwealth Games. And I thought, you know, who's, te- who's telling the story of the haggis makers and the national dish? So we did an 18-day run at the Fringe, and that helped relaunch, uh, you know, the new branding we were doing. Um, what was it called? What was the play called? Haggis, 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 funnily <laughs> enough. Um, and and so it was one of the most successful things on multiple levels. You know, the, the team felt, yeah, you've told our story. The rebrand that we did about, you know, trust us to be interesting. You know, Max Ween isn't just a haggis maker. We're a food innovator. That is so innovative, George. You've, mm. you've, you have come at it from a way of saying, right, let's include the team. And I'm sure the team got an awful lot out of that. And... Then you're 18 days at the fringe. It's brilliant marketing as well. Mm. And it's thanks yeah. to, again, you know, my father saying, you know, you've no money and no time. I mean, he he died by then. But <laughs> um, arts and business, you know, this is a good tip for people that want to think about how can I be more creative in business? You know, arts and business were a huge help to me in terms of grants to support that work. I can just yeah. see Willie the Hatchet running for three weeks at the fringe. <coughs> ah, Wally. No, I, no, I, would, I would, I would come and see it. Joe, and, and what happened? Um, you know, when when you when you got involved outside, you know, you're getting recognised now. You know, you get invited to more and more of the things that we get invited to. You're seeing that you're trying to help other businesses. This is what the show's all about. You know how we can get nuggets out there to people. You got involved in the networking. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, well, in the last ten years, um, I was asked to become a Women's Enterprise Scotland ambassador. And that's been so inspiring. And you've had quite a few of those ambassadors on your show, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Just he- helping to inspire more, more women to become entrepreneurs because if there's more women running companies, there'll be more women in organizations. And that means more diversity, more success. If one in five companies are run by women at the moment, if women set up businesses at the same rate as men in Scotland, it would grow the Scottish economy alone by £8.8 billion. Pounds. Wow. I mean, that is massive. Massive. So, We've seen a big uptake, you know, from the edge and entrepreneurial spark now that we've kind of went from the ridiculous to the sublime now where I think in the last intake we had more women than guys. You know, like, I think we had 32 women and 28 guys. So I think that we're making big strides there. We are. There's still a lot to do yeah. in terms of representation, in terms of, you know, um, pay gaps. Um, we still have a long way to go, but we have made a lot of progress. And, and Women's Enterprise Scotland has just celebrated its 10th anniversary. And the First Minister came and supported us. And it was a great night. Now, I was, I was speaking to... Um, Kenny Blair, and he was telling me you, you've been a big part of Vistage. Yes. Yeah. Peer groups. Yes. Wow. Um, peer groups make the world go round. Uh, yeah, I became a, a member first of a Vistage peer group a couple of years after my father died, actually. A real kind of, um, uh, yeah, moment of truth that. You've spoken sure. a lot on this show about the importance of talking. Yeah. And, and I'd basically lost not just my father, but my best friend. Right. And so I knew on this journey, I wanted to grow the business, grow me. And I also knew in my heart at some level, given the how much cancer's in my family, that one day I'd want to leave my family business and see what else I could do. And that seemed a really, really scary thing. <laughs> so joining Vistage allowed me to, um, you know, grow grow me and grow McSween. And how? how? Because you're with a really safe, trusted group of other leaders in non-competing sectors who absolutely have your back. Um, They're not investors. They're not married to you. Um, So they speak the truth. And sometimes that can be uncomfortable, but they do it in a really caring way. Yeah. So it's a wonderful way to um, get that support um, you know, the group, and I, you know, I've obviously love it so much because I've gone on to become a chair myself of a Vistage, of Vistage groups. And, um, but I see how much it helps give more confidence to decisions you want to make. And that in turn means leaders perform better, their companies perform better, their families perform better, their communities perform better. So what's not to like, really? Yeah, I mean, we are, we are huge fans of the peer-to-peer support and learning mm. Through the Hunter Foundation, we're doing it with um, teachers, we're doing it with entrepreneurs, 
We're doing it with local authority leaders. And just that, knowing that someone's got your back, Joe. Yeah, and the di- and the diversity in the room as well, because, you know, there's the, the challenges are very common, you know, about people, lack of confidence. Should I do this? Shouldn't I do this? You know, it doesn't matter what sector you're in. Everyone can relate to the problems. There might just be different zeros of, <laughs> in yeah. terms of the scale. But, um, you know, you've got people in the room who it's maybe the first time they've been a chief exec, so they're coming at it really fresh. You've got other people who are looking to exit, so they've got more sort of war wounds, but they love hearing the freshness of the new newer chief exec because they've almost forgotten what that's like. Um, we've got, you know, people that have um, been born in different countries, people who have been university educated, people that haven't. You know, and I think now with the complexity of decision making that is required of leaders, you you can't do this alone. You shouldn't try and do it alone. You know, what is the saying? You know, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Yeah. And the power of peers, I think, helps leaders make better decisions. And in, in a Vistage group as well, it's very holistic. They take better care of themselves. So would you encourage anyone who's listening this morning who's running a business, MD of a business, or being an entrepreneur driving a business, to have a look at joining something like Well... Not just any, because you need to have the right mindset. It's not for everyone. Some people don't want to be challenged. Some people don't think they've got anything to learn, really. So so if they have a growth mindset, if they have humility, uh, you know, that that means they they feel they have something to learn. They don't know it all, and they're they're givers as well as takers. Yes, absolutely. Come and have a conversation with us. Um, so you know, so you vetted. Yeah, a, it's a mutual selection process because I think actually the worst thing would be to have the wrong kind of person in the room. Yeah. Otherwise, you can't. Then there's not trust, and people do share really big stuff in the room. So, you know, one one person in there who has got too big an ego or maybe um, isn't caring enough could undermine the whole group. Yeah. So, um, so yes, um, if they have that mindset, they'll absolutely fit in. So that's fascinating. How many members do you have? Um, well, I, I run several groups. Yeah. So I, I run a group for emerging leaders. Yeah. Um, they're fantastic. So... You know, that's a group of 30, the rising stars, you might say. Um, Outside of Visage, I I run a group um, for scaling companies. Um, So they're sort of earlier stage. And then in Visage, I run a chief exec group as well. Uh, And there's 12 in that. But there's there's a number of groups around Scotland. And the other thing about Visage is it's it's a global organization. So when you join, you're, you're joining a global family of 30,000 leaders around the world in over 22 countries. You know, I can't think of another network that plugs you in like that. And that, with everything else that's going on in Scotland, because, you know, we love collaborating in Vistage, and I love what, you know, Entrepreneurial Scotland do and all these other organisations. You know, I think it's about us understanding what each of us can offer and understanding how to help the entrepreneur. Where, where do you jump on here? Where do you jump off and re-engage here and so on? So that throughout your entrepreneurial journey, you're getting the right support um, for for where you are and yeah. and in line with your aspirations. Brilliant. Brilliant. And do you, do you think that um, for you it's been a fantastic experience being involved in Visage? I, it sounds corny, but it's been life changing for me yeah. because I remember facing, for example, you know, um, after my father died, we had the opportunity to supply Marks and Spencers. Now, that was a big decision. You know, we'd heard that they were, you know, very demanding and people were phoning me up and saying, "Mm, not sure you should do this. And because I was in my Vistage group, they were saying, well, why not? You know, yeah, it's going to be challenging. You should absolutely do this, Joe. Um, So I think, I think, you know, decisions like that, you just didn't feel so lonely. And I definitely look after myself better now. And well, hey, I left the family business you know, that was a really big existential yeah. question in my life. And with the support of my coach, uh, my chair and the group, you know, they held my feet to the fire nicely and just said, come on, you said you were going to do this. You know, you need to jump out the airplane. We're with you. We know you're going to land and and you're going to put all your experience at McSween to good, good use in supporting other entrepreneurs. And that's what I do now. So anyone listening this morning 
how did he look to apply to or to start the vetting stage to join well, university? You, you make it <laughs> it's mutual selection, really mutual selection. As vetting, <laughs> well, it's got to be right for both parties. Yeah, but that's what it's called. <laughs> yeah, but it does need to be right for both parties. Yeah. I, I really believe that. Well, you can go on to the Vistage website yeah. or contact me through my website, jimmcsween.com. Um, and we'd be delighted to have a conversation with them. And if they're not right for Vistage, I never leave people without a place to go. Yeah. You know, yeah. so I will signpost them to the right place if they're not ready yet. Great. So I, I think, Joe, the listeners have got so many nuggets there, um, maybe haggis nuggets this morning. <laughs> and um, But I think it's been brilliant. You've taken us through the whole gambit of your business, the trials and tribulations, and it's been a pleasure listening to you. So thanks for coming on the, the Go Radio Business Show this Well, morning. thank you so much for asking me. It's been a real pleasure. And a great story. Thank, thank you, you so much for coming on. Thank you. The Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions. Providing secure archive storage to your business. Go Radio. Well, this morning we have a special guest on the line, young Caitlin White, who has just won the Young Business Person of the Year. Caitlin is the marketing director of Fat Boys. Caitlin, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So this is a great award. Were you excited? I was. I was. Uh, I was very shocked. Uh, I was definitely trying to not get my family and my colleagues' hopes up, but they they were quite hopeful. So <laughs> I was probably more shocked than they were. But it was a nice surprise. And was it a big event? Was it a big dinner in Glasgow? Yeah, I think there was about 800, 700, 800 Whoa! people there. So yeah, it was quite. Quite overwhelming. <laughs> Fantastic, and it's great to see we've got more. You know, we've got more females coming through and entrepreneur. And to be fair, and all my time involved with these awards, unfortunately, there wasn't too many ladies winning awards. So we're absolutely delighted to know yeah. that you've picked up this accolade. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we just want to wish you all the best, and we wanted to give you a wee shout out on the program. Okay. Yeah. Thank you so much. That's so kind of you. <laughs> good luck and keep up the good work. I will. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Listen to Hunter and Hockey anywhere, anytime, wherever you get your podcasts. The Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions. Helping your business with document management, print and IT solutions. Go Radio. There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitization, data security and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs, saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work from anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk.